We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Christopher Bedford, senior editor at The Federalist, who has just requested that I warn our uh, loyal and wonderful audience that today's episode may not be as suitable for children as as usual. Um, And so you have been warned. Today's episode is our annual airing of grievances episode, which should give you some indication of why Chris is ready to unload in a fashion that may not be suitable to uh, for children. Right, Chris? (laughs) I mean, the problem is we live in Washington, D.C., which I know like most people are like way ahead of the curve and saying, why would you live there? That's awful. Did you lose the lottery? D.C. sucks. But actually, D.C. was pretty awesome. Yeah, like two it years was. Ago. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I know this is totally a, a, a cuckold thing for me to say, but D.C. was a, is a glorious, classical, peaceful city. I mean, I remember getting off the when I was up before COVID BS, before St. George Floyd and all that. I uh, get off the train in Union Station, walk out there. After being in New York City and Penn Station, we were out there once or twice a month for work. Mm-hmm. And I'd leave the insanity and the bums and the drugs and the violence and the trash. And I'd come outside of the D.C. and it'd be beautiful, elegant, classical, quiet, and a neighborhood. Yeah. And you li- that, you've lived on Capitol Hill for a long time. Yeah. I've lived in D.C. for 17 years and Capitol Hill for 11 of them. The, uh, and I love it. Well, I used to. Yesterday, I was driving. So we're just going to write to the grievances. Yeah. Yesterday I was, well, I you've already done that. <laughs> Union Markets, this place that used to be awesome. It, you had to deal with like really stupid, meaningless left-wing uh, isms like graffiti that says things like diversity is what makes brings us together, which is like completely ridiculous. We did a whole video on that graffiti. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. a silly thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you could get a good steak. You could get a sandwich. You could take a date. You could get a, you get a beer. You could pick up some good fish. Was it overpriced? Yes. Was it very good products? Yes. It was all local folks. Um, do tacos. You can get slushy drinks. Whatever the heck you wanted to. Driving there the other day, yesterday, to sharpen my knives for Christmas, they, it was a different experience. Everyone was wearing masks. Yeah. Everyone. You didn't have to wear masks anymore. Some of the shops said you can't walk into them. It's kind of like an open-air mall kind of thing, marketplace. Some of the shops said you can't come in without a mask. That's our rule. I said, fine, I'm not going to buy stupid overpriced things for, for socking stuffers from you. After all, I'll go, I'll go, fine, I'll get them on Amazon or something else. <laughs> or go to a Christmas market. And everywhere you go in D.C. nowadays is combat. Because, and, and you feel this in a lot of the left-wing cities, where people walk around with their stupid single and double masks on outside by themselves as symbols of their loyalty to something that's like been widely disproven. And they glare at you and they think lesser of you. And it's just, it's like how New York City was always combat. You always had to be paying attention. You're slamming into people. You're walking. There was, you can never just relax. Now, every single left-wing city has become like that. And in my drive from there to the Dubliner yesterday, I found myself, this is why I thought we should keep the kids. I thought to myself three times, said out loud, FDC. <laughs> and twice I yelled, get out of the road, you effing crackhead, out the window. <laughs> because I had to. Yeah. Well, and this is uh, an interesting kind of thing because you've lived here for 17 years. I've lived here for 10 years. And us now claiming that D.C. feels like combat is probably funny to longtime residents, people who have lived here even longer than us, maybe their whole lifetime. Oh, yeah, the 80s and 90s were much worse. Yeah. Much worse. My favorite. It was um, combat, but but we didn't. People, like middle income workers and middle class 
workers did not live here. The point, yeah, and I think the point is that it's it's getting worse, that it was great and it's it got better and now it's it's deteriorating. Intentionally. For yes, in, intentionally for the sake of ideology and that's happening as we we record this Mayor London uh which is, is London Breed is the mayor of San Francisco. Mayor, oh, oh, I don't know San Francisco. Yeah, so I got she, enough problems right here. <laughs> she came out and talked about well, San Francisco is such a good test lab for all of these progressive ideas about policing and, yeah, it, and it, justice. It was a good test lab. That anyone with a brain and a heart would have walked over to San Francisco and said, "Should I let the homeless people take over the city?" And so they would have said, "No." London like Breed. The Tesla have exploded, and everyone was killed inside of it. And DC, and Austin, and Seattle, and Boulder were like, "Let's do that." Yeah, and Portland, um, and Los Angeles, and New York City, in a lot of respects. And so this is a failed experiment that's playing out. And London Breed came out today, or just yesterday, and said, "This is basically said it's time to call out the bullshit." It's just funny. It's like ten years late. She's been part of the bullshit, and it's ten years late. And one of the examples that I would cite <laughs> is I I'd actually like live across from one of the open drug scenes. Um, I was and, driving through your neighborhood yesterday thinking, I don't know how Emily does this. Yeah, I mean, it, well, there's there's a lot to talk about with that. But one thing I would say is there's the most backwards example, and I, I sent this to Michael Schellenberger when I saw it, of the activists here in D.C. are... <laughs> The, the people who are advocates on behalf of the homeless community advocates here in D.C. Yeah, they're just advocates against civilization the unhoused, and civilized the people, people. The people experiencing homelessness. Well, they experiencing are... Experiencing homelessness, they're drug addicts. Well, okay, so this is how backwards it is. They are actually petitioning the city not to clear out these homeless encampment encampments in order to, get this prevent hypothermia. So the logic is that we must allow people to continue camping outdoors to prevent them from getting hypothermia. And their reasoning, of course, is this convoluted idea that when they're not in the encampments, they're not surrounded by other people and they're more likely to be out on their own. They're going to be out on the street either way. So if you're going to send them out in the street, well, those people actually were all given the option to be lodged for free by the city. It's 60 degrees. So Boston and New York City, we don't have this really in D.C. Boston and New York City have this really dark thing. It's called a bumsicle. And it's when it freezes at night and the people, the people who are out there die. Yeah. And that's the, like, but it used to be so common and it's an awful thing because so many of these people are actually struggling with severe mental illness, not getting the treatment they need. Oh, Giving them a generator is like not a cool way to do it. But in Boston, New York, they call them bumsicles. The, and the, the way that they've dealt with that is when you get to a hypothermia warning, you arrest people. Right. You take them to shelters. There's an island in Massachusetts where it's like a, it's a peninsula off of Boston where people who say, no, I'm not going to a shelter. They say, actually, yes, you are. And they arrest them and they bring them there overnight. The, the solution is not to turn all the playgrounds and Union Station and throw a homeless shelter. And as so I was sitting there at the double one yesterday after this experience, back to the grievances. I'm trying, to, I'm trying not to get too dark. No, this is I'll, just grievance after grievance, which yeah. is fine. And a friend of mine, I'm chatting with him. Awesome dude. You know, he worked on a lot of the decriminalization campaigns, like the let people out of prison campaigns. Like that yeah. would be absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. Jared Kushner gets to hang out with Van Jones and like hang out with Kanye's wife and everyone's going to be really cool now and we'll let everyone out of prison. And he was saying, well, this is like, I said, listen, guy, if I walk out the front door of the Dubliner right listen, now guy. and start pointing, I bet you that I could point to 15 people who should be in prison right now. 
Oh. And he actually agreed with me. Well, so Michael Ch- Michael Schellenberger actually, and he's he's been on the podcast a couple times recently, but he he wrote this really beautiful, poignant story of a woman whose family member had gone to San Francisco as an addict, basically to take advantage of the open drug scenes because they are very permissive of using drugs in public, breaking the law in public, so as to buy this very convoluted progressive logic that is playing out in these these test cases that we're using cities and humans as laboratories for an ideology that is clearly backwards. This woman is pleading with the city of San Francisco to arrest her loved one for breaking the law. And it's true that our prison system is not great at rehabilitation, but you know what's really not great at rehabilitation is allowing people to live outdoors in unsafe conditions, breaking the law in myriad ways in the middle of these communities. It's crazy. Yeah, so rehabilitation is a good thing. I think people should be rehabilitated. It's really difficult to rehabilitate a lot of people and especially difficult in prison. But your know, bottom line is I don't care. You should be punished. Yeah. If you steal or if you if you're selling drugs to the homeless and the mentally ill in the shelters, if you're stealing cars, if you're doing hit and runs, if you're opening fire on people, if you're doing carjackings, you know, I don't give a damn about your rehabilitation. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Sit in a 5 by 5 cell with JoJo for the next 10 years. <laughs> I don't care. care. Well, if you're pissing on the street, defecating on the street, and you're doing it because... That should just be a bull weapon. But this is the thing. If you're doing it, that's illegal and you should be arrested and we should have a system, I agree, that is better at rehabilitation. There's so no about question like, about it. Like, bring back some like the old, like, not jail punishments. Like, the stockades. <laughs> just like... <laughs> Like, oh, yo, dude, you want to whip it out and piss on my car? How about this? Now, 13-year-old little brats are going to whip tomatoes at you, and you're going to sit there, and you can't move, and you, you're you going to be mad. It's extremely humiliating. But yeah. that's what's happening now, because guess what? You took a dump on the street. Well, I want to like, transition. You to prison for that, you nasty son of a gun. But, like, yeah, I want to make things uncomfortable for you. Our grievances are coming right now from the perspective of people who live in an urban area, and there are urban areas around the country that are affected by this. It's true that we're not at the levels of violent crime that we were at in the 80s and the 90s, but we are having an uptick in many cities and things like murder at shocking rates, and particularly violent crimes have increased hugely in some cities in the country, many of whom are uh, running this experiment on progressive well, policing. different from the 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s? Well, 70s, 80s, and 90s, massive crime uptick in response to the 50s and the 60s, which were a massive experiment in trying to em- lower the incarceration rate in the United States. Slashing to bring in new different laws to come up with juvenile laws, for example, that, ch- that, that punish children differently than, uh, than adults, and also a breakdown in the family. All of those things coming together. What's different right now in 20, 2019, 2020, is that D.C. was working great. Yeah. Like, this was a really nice place. Austin, Texas in 2012 was an awesome place. The Obama Denver, years Colorado were really in 2015 good. was a great place. And now all of them are awful yeah. because of active decisions of people. Um, the, you- these, these idiot people who went to Harvard University and they think that everybody does drugs just like they do, like they did, like you pop some mushrooms and you go hang out in the woods. Or yeah. like, it's like, actually, no, most people lose their job, lose their family, break into your car and become and, 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 and hurl feces at our interns. No, D.C. under the in the Obama years was doing really well. A lot of business moved here and it was great for the city. Things I mean, there was there were real improvements. There were a lot of jobs. New York City under Michael Bloomberg, as much of an idiot as Michael Bloomberg is, he's not Bill de Blasio. <laughs> Bill de Blasio runs this experiment in New York City. And what I want to say from the perspective, um, we're speaking from an urban perspective, but 
a lot of Americans either live in cities or live within proximity to cities or are very proud of the major cities in their state. So you can live way upstate New York and you may hate New York City, but there's something in every American, like New York City lives in the American imagination and people may hate it, but we love to watch Home Alone 2. We love to watch I love Home Alone. Home Alone so, 2 in particular, Lost in New York. But, yeah, that's a good one. He refers the pigeon lady. Yes. Did you, I'm, now, even I'm reevaluating Michael Bloomberg a little bit. Like, I know we're not supposed to talk about that right now, like half of the people who died or more than that who died of COVID also had serious obesity. Although we got to be a little calm on the obesity thing because anyone, basically anyone who's not a rail civil war size walks into the doctor's office like, oh, you're obese. The chart is easy. But uh, half of- every time I go to the airport and I see these just, you know, they call them plus size, but they're just like grotesquely massive people with wearing like belly button t-shirts and yoga pants. I think, you know what? Ban the big gulp. Absolutely. Bloomberg no. ban soda. You no. know what? If, no. Either that or dress codes <laughs> for airlines. It's one or the other. No, 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 but it's not so much ban the big gulp. I love for freedom and stuff, but act like an animal in your own time and not when it's squishing me into my seat. Well, if we had universal health care, ban the big gulp, but we're, it should be so... And bring back beer on airplanes. It should be so stigmatized to be one of these companies that is encouraging obesity and stuffing Americans full. Like, that should be... It should be stigmatized to be one of those Americans. Oh, absolutely, but we're doing the opposite. This is another progressive experiment. My gosh, we didn't even plan this grievance podcast, I and mean, they're just pouring out of us because i another, keep on thinking of new things that upset me well our society is completely like the progressive experiment that is playing out on a sort of thirty thousand foot level is so completely backwards because it is rooted utterly in postmodernism. and postmodernism tells us that what is ugly is beautiful it tells us that what is unhealthy is healthy it tells us that what is wrong is right and you see that with uh plus size advertisements you see that with the way that the, every glossy magazine over the course of the last five years has run myriad dumbass articles about how it's sometimes healthy to be fat. And they have worked to destigmatize obesity. They are actively working to destigmatize obesity. They are proud of it. It is a virtue signal. And it is disgusting. I remember years ago when Joan Rivers commented on Lena Dunham and said something like, you should, you're not healthy if you're that level. Like, I get all about, like, you should be comfortable and happy with who you are. She's a beautiful woman, but like, that's not good. You're, this is unhealthy. Like, you're, this weight that you're trying to, I think she may have even said it to her face or she said it to Howard Stern. And that was a huge controversy at the time. Uh, <laughs> coming, by the way, from Joan Rivers, who once did the same thing to Oprah, <laughs> Johnny Carson. Uh, but it's, it's amazing that it's like, this it's true it's true this is not good for you you are slowly killing yourself um and what we have is actually every major institution the media with the exception of like i guess michelle obama was working on this but every major institution working actually to decrease the stigma um chris is learning about his new apple devices by the way i learned how to put it on silent and it Obviously, didn't work. This is his, uh, my, my grievance to be like, Chris is just now learning how to use Apple products. Yeah, but- you know, I, I got a grievance uh, against Apple products. I mean, slave, slave labor. labor. <laughs> but no, the progressive experiment is so backwards. It's rooted in this postmodern idea where we've deconstructed all truth. And I don't think it was having as clear of consequences until it was running rampant in the aftermath of yeah, 2020. I don't really care about your health that much. I just care if I could see it. And it's disgusting on airplanes. And it's gross when you're like, when people are dressing really slutty when they're, when they're, when they're that size. It's like, hey, do, either, do, you, do you live in a fun house? 
Do you, we do you all have a live mother? in a funhouse. Do you have a mother who's just like, hey, much about, yeah, it's a fake world. Exactly. Uh, and it's all that whole thing. It's like, I don't, you don't have to be ashamed. No shame, no shame, no shame. Absolutely be ashamed. You know, there was once a good time in America when the Catholic Church was powerful before, you know, they, 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 they got in there some trouble their own. You need and, to move and their to whole thing was Their whole thing was, you're a bad person and you're probably going to hell. And like, that's a pretty good message for people to hear. In the 1960s, as war raged in Vietnam, Americans were shocked to learn of documents leaked from the Pentagon that made them question their government's entire involvement in the conflict. The new season of Wondery's podcast, American Scandal, explores the Pentagon Papers, those highly controversial leaked documents that led Americans to demand an end to the catastrophic war. In the 60s, Daniel Ellsberg was a young government official who discovered that U.S. leaders were secretly escalating a war they knew could not be won. Sound familiar? As a result, thousands of men were drafted each year only to be senselessly killed. Once Ellsberg recognized this terrible truth, he made the bold decision to leak the documents now known as the Pentagon Papers, even if the consequences would land him behind bars for life. It's a story about self-sacrifice and justice, but it's also the story of Ellsberg's transformation from government operative to anti-war whistleblower and how his actions altered the course of American history. Listen to American Scandal, The Pentagon Papers on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen one week early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Are your thoughts running in endless circles in your mind? I know that I have been there. So with the stresses of this last year, it's more important than ever to practice living healthier and happier lives. So what if a few minutes was all it took to change your relationship with stress and anxiety, transforming your life for the better? That's the power of meditation with Headspace. Our thoughts can be confusing enough. Meditation doesn't have to be. Headspace is your convenient dose of meditation, mindfulness, and sleep exercises to relieve stress and anxiety and help you get a good night's sleep all in one app, making it easy to catch your breath and make time for your mental health. And it's one of the most science-backed meditation apps in the world, proving meditation works. A study proves in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. You're going to love their SOS mini meditations, for example, that just give you a quick breather. They relieve stresses and bring you a moment of peace amongst all of the daily chaos. Find some Headspace at headspace.com slash federalist and get one month free of their entire meditation library. This is the best Headspace offer available. So go to headspace.com slash federalist today. Headspace.com slash federalist. Well, the funhouse mirror, I think, is that, or the, the funhouse is actually a really accurate uh, description because it's the again, least fun funhouse ever this, in. Right, we live in a society where every major institution is telling us that we're going to prevent hypothermia among the homeless by letting them live outside. We live in a society where we have, uh, we live in a society. No, we have um, that that high school. We were, I'm sorry, this was an elementary school. We reported on this yesterday in Denver, Centennial. Um, school public school where they had a a night where it was like colored families for the playground only all these things are utterly backwards (laughs) utterly backwards uh james Lindsay put it in black and white and was like new game 1951 or 20 yeah that was a great yeah the 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 colored only playground it's like wow that's an interesting thing that they're trying to pull on um it's all backwards everything yeah i'm totally with you on that yeah 
What are some other grievances I have? You I have a lot grievances of them. against me, and I think it's only fair that you air your grievance and that every time we, we tape this podcast, I come 10 minutes late, take 10 minutes too long to set up the equipment, and we run out of time. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I'm See, self-aware. But you are eloquent. <laughs> you, you're concise. You're eloquent. You know, and, and the, what, one thing I do like is that New York City is falling apart. I don't like that. Well, I, I do, because that's where all the people who, who kind of came up with these ideas live. And it, I, don't, I just don't think it could happen to a nicer group of people. I don't know if they live there anymore. I think they live in... I think that's part of the problem, is that they live in, like, Brooklyn. They live in Jersey. They live in Westchester. Oh, there's still a lot of them who live in Manhattan, though. You know, but, I mean, they act like there's no idea. It's exactly their funhouse stuff. What are they going to do? Oh, my gosh, somebody was dealing meth in, inside of a homeless shelter to the mentally ill. Well, maybe, how Clean their we needle. Stop that? Clean that's their spoon. That's a thing. It's like, I, I can tell you how to solve that. And it rhymes with meth penalty. Yeah. That's what you do well, when no. somebody... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the meth penalty. I'm very against the meth penalty, um, just in general, but certainly in that context. Emily is a liberal, folks. Never forget that. But this is another of Chris's grievances. Well, that's true. That There's, there's not really very many actually conservative women. <laughs> and the ones that are, like really are and care deeply about it, like really walk the line with mental illness. <laughs> Because women are nurturers. They don't want to mess penalty people. And guys are just like, no, no, string no, no, them up. No, 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 Nurturing, <laughs> nurturing is not letting people live in open drug scenes on the street and saying this is how we prevent hypothermia. It is not saying that it's good for you to live in your own But there's probably feces. some kind of solution that most women come up with that's like in between that and just like clubbing them and throwing them into prison cells, which is like, you know, the average male response. Nurturing is... Well, okay. I think this question that you just raised about whether we should ban big gulps is an interesting one because it gets at the the conservative. <laughs> I mean, I'm just I'm more I'm more sympathetic to the big gulp case. Yeah, I mean that. So, but this is this is the the slippery slope, Chris. Uh, that's how Michael Bloomberg gets your guns. <laughs> First, he came I, for the big on, gulp on, on Bedford Airlines. Which is such a, going to be such a great airline. Collar required, long pants required. I would never fly that airline. You, pro you probably wouldn't be let on. <laughs> no, I, that's what I'm saying. Code. And like we're handing out cookies and stuff, and some people like wouldn't get a cookie. Like you don't need a cookie. <laughs> well, they wouldn't have been allowed on the plane to begin. <laughs> no, they, no, that's fine. Just dress, just dress appropriately. Okay. Um, what, what other grievances? They're just sort of spilling out of, surprisingly, both of us. I mostly expect you to just, you're already so wound up that all it takes is giving you permission to un, unwind and it never stops. I, I don't know if other people are experiencing this. I mean, small towns are not experiencing this, I imagine. I, th I bet things are actually still great in most of the country. But did you notice that Washington, D.C. didn't even decorate for Christmas this year? I didn't notice that. Okay. Like, the parks are, last year, the parks were filled with lights. And by the way, like, the COVID excuse existed last year. The parks were filled with lights. Most of the homes were too. This year, it's not. I wonder. I expected that to happen under Trump. Like, we're not going to decorate for Christmas because Trump. But like, I'm not even sure what the excuse is this year. I think part of what's happening in cities is that the people who, and this is what 
Muriel Bowser and London Breed are reckoning with is that the people that were their sort of solid taxpayer base and the people who did really care about their communities and their neighborhoods and had the means to put some time and money into making sure that they stayed um, beautiful and stayed safe and stable and would go to city council meetings and be like, hey, this is a problem, have moved away. I mean, yeah, I know so many of my friends who moved away. Yeah. I I can name five friends up in one hand. Well, as many as I can. Um, you can name five, five friends, friends with on one, one hand, hand who have moved out of this city. <laughs> who I got news to you: these aren't the kind of people who are who are taking city money. Yeah, they're not on social programs. They're young. They're not on the elderly programs. They're they pay for their own health care. They often go to have either kids that are too young, no kids, or kids that are in private school. Uh, they're not taking advantage of these things. They are simply add-ons in the money of these cities yep. and they are leaving and it's it, it, and and, by, and then you have some fruitcake out there who lives in virginia and a two million dollar house works for the coke institute being like well those are racist people oh oh okay excuse me well i'm ready to leave too well okay so this has so far just been urban grievances but i would like to say i think there's a bigger conversation to be had about cities as symbols of american greatness and i think new york city has long been a symbol of american greatness i think you know people so like i'm from uh outside milwaukee about a half hour, 40 minutes outside Milwaukee. Um, and we didn't go into Milwaukee that often, but when we did, it was to go see the Christmas Carol at the Pabst Theater. Um, or we went to have a nice dinner on the water, or go to Summerfest, or go... And, Do you and, have your COVID card? Could you please put your mask on? Right, right. Uh, we do. This is that, not. That's it. how you make me from changing from the Christmas spirit to pulling you through the little hole in the toll booth, the little ticket stand, like pulling you right through it. You of all people on this podcast of all podcasts have no room to talk about COVID. We're at the one year anniversary. Yeah, of Chris spreading his COVID far and wide. Not only do I not care about COVID, but I put my money where my mouth is and gave it to all my friends for Christmas. Natural immunity. Natural immunity. <laughs> generosity um and coven yes uh speaking of which that's my grievance uh to you um but no this is a, you, so you did you coven you grew up it hasn't been proven <laughs> you grew up outside of boston um boston's another really beautiful city but i think that's this is not just it doesn't just affect urban people it affects people because these cities are the symbols of what we are what we are capable of they're the, the symbols of um commerce they're the symbols of uh community and i know a lot of people are always annoyed especially conservatives because their cities are going to be deep blue but there's something there that's like at least they're always beautiful and they always were centers of culture um and to see what's happened to them i think speaks to the sort of symbolic, uh, the, the symbolic takeover of the country. Um, but By also, the way, there are good cities left. Like I was just in Tampa, Florida. There you go. It was a great city. I mean, the downtown area, the commercial area was a lot of construction. That was annoying. A lot of like cheap condo high rises going up, but the neighborhoods looked like home alone in the nineties. Mm-hmm. It was like kids riding their bicycles and, and, and fathers walking their babies and, and, and mothers walking dogs. And I was just like, this is great. Yeah. Like, and you know, turns out you actually don't have to live in constant, under constant pressure from psychotic germaphobes who only want to enforce mask mandates while not enforcing like any other health mandate, giving out free drugs and not putting people in prison for being criminals. The, turns out like there is, there are other places that are better. 
than that. And it's uh, it's really refreshing to see. I mean, remember like in the 90s when the left used to say like, get out of my bedroom. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like now, like, stop trying to control me. Now it's just like put on a mask in your bed. It's like, what, do you wear a condom to sleep? Shut up. <laughs> get out of my bedroom. Get out of my life. Get out of my home. Get out of my city, honestly. But I'm outnumbered here. This brings I me feel to- like I could probably take like one to five, five to one. What? Like DC libs, like there's 95 percent the city DC libs, so it's like it'd be a hard fight. But oh yeah, you would be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah you would skinny be fine. arms, yeah, flailing. A great memory of 2021 is when Chris and I went to film the video we actually just mentioned of the murals in DC. Some of which Chris actually gave a nice history of, and they're they're lovely, and others of which are laughably um, not so lovely. Chris goes through Union Market, and I'm filming this. I don't have the gregarious personality of Christopher Bedford but uh, I'm the one that's holding the camera per usual and Chris walks through this very busy um, like outdoor dining area at Union Market where millennials were doing their work from home at like what two in the afternoon on a bright sunny day yeah they no were laptops open drinking <laughs> yeah eating and like e- eating their, their best 20 dollars salads yeah and chris just very loudly <laughs> does this sort of impression of somebody touring uh, like on a safari but like doing a, a national geographic show and and turns and just goes and here we have the settler population of dc working from home <laughs> He just turns around and keeps going, and I'm there with the camera, um, looking like an idiot. But it was pretty <laughs> Sorry funny. about that. I can't, I can't worry it before I'm about to offend everyone around us. No, it's a great clip. Just act naturally. <laughs> just keep walking, eyes straight ahead. Like, here's a grievance against myself. Oh, for like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I sometimes deign to realize that there was a point in my life when I was not as smart as I am right now. What? Yeah, it's tough. The um. <laughs> But at the beginning of the year, I was like, I was wearing masks in airports, like an idiot. Like I was wearing masks in grocery stores and I wasn't, I also wasn't drinking beer when I was in grocery stores. And all of that is different now. I'm ending the year a better person. I just realized from my friend, Mark, he's like, I fly 20,000 miles a year and I haven't worn a mask in an airport for a year. I probably get yelled at once out of every three airports. And it's usually like, can you please put your mask on, sir? And then you put it on. And then you walk away. Another, and I did this. I've done this through like Minneapolis, through Washington D.C., through yeah. TSA, through uh, through uh, Naples, Florida. And I've seen sometimes it. people walk up and be like, yeah, "I was with you at one point." We Minneapolis. We both had a layover in Minneapolis, and we. Uh, That's the day I found out. The day you found out you don't have to wear a mask. mask. Yeah, Chris is roaming around the Minneapolis airport without a mask. (laughs) So proudly. (laughs) I was so proud. I was like, this is great. But the the, the rules are very different on an airplane. Once you're approaching that gate, they own you. You belong to the company. They can ban you from flying. They could have an air marshal whoop your butt when you get off the airplane. So, like, I don't mess around there, but... Like, you know, old lady or old man at the information booth says, excuse me, young man, do you have your mask? I'm like, oh, thank you. And I take it and I put it in my pocket and I'm never rude and just leave. That reminds me of a grievance that I have against the sort of like 
MAGA right or the Republican Party more broadly, which is that I don't think this is not their, this is not the fault of the right. It's definitely the fault of the fact that you have to push through the filter of every other major institution, including the media, to make this case. But like, what has been inflicted upon us by the Chinese Communist Party for two years now, in many ways, in that you know the the sort of sequence wasn't released when it should have been. The information was never transparent. We still think this is potentially negligence um, on the behalf of their government. And it is negligence on behalf of their government in many different ways. Criminal negligence and intentional. I mean, it's gone beyond negligence when they're murdering the people who are blowing the whistle on this. But it's like we have to spend so much time um, debunking all of the falsehoods that every institution is putting out that I feel like it's been really hard to also focus our audiences and the the American people on the fact that this is an evil we are experiencing that killed 800,000 Americans so far. Allegedly. Like, you got in a car accident. You died of COVID. Okay. Many, many people have died of COVID, uh, depending on what the number actually is, but, uh, or like what your estimate actually is. I have one friend who died and one friend who was seriously ill with long-term effects. And it's... One inflicted this uh, two years of, and our leaders are certainly to blame for that as well, but... I have more friends who've died of cancer in the last year than COVID. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Because it's a disease. So, like, we should hold the Chinese accountable. They're an evil slave state uh, that that hate us, and we should hold them accountable, and it's incredibly insane that the left won't. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's completely our fault for all this garbage that's happened here in America. The demasculated population that refused to stand up for their own liberties. And then the politicians who are who are like Gavin Newsom, who says, I'm extending the state of emergency in California and then flies to Mexico to freaking party. Yeah, no, but we would never have been in the situation, um, arguably, if it weren't. Not, there's there's no question that our leaders have exacerbated and made it terrible, but we would never have been in this situation, um, perhaps to the scale that we were in. Um, but if potentially this negligence it plays out, and I'm talking about the potential of a lab leak, um, obviously, and maybe our government was involved in that too. How about a five by five cell for Fauci? <laughs> and then I know what he's going to do. He's going to retire right before Joe Biden like dies in office. So then the Republicans <laughs> come back and they're like, hey, pull this guy up to the stand. And everyone's going to be like, oh, why are you trying to be mean to an old retiree? And then back to your rehabilitation. I don't want to rehabilitate Fauci. You're, I want to put him in a jail cell. Your hypotheticals are so dark. It's like Fauci for prison. Let's put him in with the J6 guys. Let all of them out. Let them celebrate Christmas. Oh, my God. Let them celebrate Christmas with their families. They've been in there for like a year for freaking trespassing. Like, let them out. Depending on which person you're talking to. Sure, fine. I know you're like, lock them up. And then throw Fauci in there. I'm not like lock them up. So I mean, Fauci I think in the J6 prison. We That's did a whole a podcast grievance. about That's this. That's a great idea. Here's a grievance. The entire year of terrible January 6th coverage and dominance, every time I look up at MSNBC, which I keep on in the background when I'm working from home because I like to see what they're talking about, every time I look up at the screen, 50% of the time, it's not every time, 50% of the time, but let's say 50% of the time I look up at the screen, it's January 6th. Oh, wait till the anniversary. They're going to pretend it's 9-11. They're going to like reshow all no, the footage the entire they day. They said on MSNBC, <laughs> Steve Schmidt said that it was worse than 9-11 uh, and other people have made that same argument. Mm. But it's again, it's one of these problems where it's like, listen, was it bad? 100% absolutely. What you're doing is promoting conspiracy theories and falsehoods and you're letting people off the hook who also did terrible things. I read the entire idea G report, or no, it was the, the uh, Joint Commission report yeah. on the security failures I mean, just once, yesterday. One six as many people died, were killed on one six, as at the Waukesha Christmas parade. 
Yeah. So what, what are we talking about? Like, these are just complete BS, complete BS. It's, but that's the thing is like cops were beaten horribly on January 6th. Yeah, I was there. It was awful. Yeah, we, we both were covering it. Um, and you were further in than I was, um, but I was pretty close too. And the problem with all of this is that there were so many lies spread by the, not just the left, but by the so-called mainstream institutions um, that it's sort of like, and the way that they've treated uh, many of the prisoners, it's unbelievable. Did you and see the New York Times this week? Well, it makes it hard to have a conversation about what lying. actually went wrong. Yeah, yeah they're claiming like yeah. Laura Ingram, who claimed this was Antifa uh, people at the riot. It's like that night, my, that night, you Molly Hemingway and I were on her show together and we were both saying this is not, there may have been Antifa people there. Turns out there actually was. Many of them have been arrested now. But that's, we said explicitly, this was not an Antifa riot. Yeah. This was a feds and Trump supporters, probably a lot more Trump supporters than feds. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure. I did, we didn't know at that point. But like the New York Times claimed the exact opposite. They're rewriting history right in front of us. And they're completely reliant on the fact that their audience wasn't watching or doesn't remember. And, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe prison for the New York Times, too. That's a huge grievance, I think, of mine is that, and this is the same thing with COVID. It's the same thing with all of these issues across the board. It's that people who... Like the biggest story right now, every single day, is the media's botched coverage. And that's horrible. It's a decadent problem. It's one that distracts us from real problems, like the very real problems that we could talk about that led to so many disaffected people thinking. Can it be rehabilitated? What's that? Can the media be rehabilitated? No. Do you think so? What about with like 20 to 30 years? Well, that's. With like full access to prison programs and a library. <laughs> What do you think? Uh, library of good behavior. You start in the laundry room. Oh my gosh. Do you have any... Uh, Actually, you know what? How about this? A library with books that are about things that aren't World War II and aren't slavery, antebellum slavery. Like a library where, where reporters and people in the media have to learn historical facts that are not Nazis and antebellum South. It doesn't matter. Which they actually don't understand either. They kind of just like understand that. Like they, they learned everything they know about the antebellum South from like roots. No, but it doesn't matter because you can, you can do all of that research. You can read all of that. But if you're bringing the filter to it that every single one of them has permanently yeah, installed. in prison. You don't get access to a computer after years of terrorism <laughs> no, 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 but I'm saying against if you're, American people. If you're reading, but I'm saying, yes, and this, of course, here's one of my grievances. Chris's damn obsession with the 30 Years War because he spent probably a year in and of his, it was his own 30 Year, 30 year probably War. probably six months. Reading See, the book. My phone is on silent and I can't get it to shut up. He doesn't know how to use technology. Another grievance. Although it. one time he figured out how to record the podcast on his own, uh, which involved hitting just a single record button, but he did it. Yeah. I was so proud. <laughs> I was I was very proud of myself too. Every every morning I wake up, I look in the mirror and I say, You again. <laughs> I get to spend all day with you. <laughs> Any final grievances, Chris? No, I mean, I think, I think, I think, I, I, I guarantee you, I'll be spending the rest of the day being like, and you know what else? And you know what else? But um, we can I do a part two if you. My happens. next round of grievances will expose themselves on positive in the fifteen-minute drive home. My grievance is the delivery truck on the street outside right now beeping. <laughs> I don't like beeps. I don't like machines. I don't think machines should tell me what to do ever. Yeah. I don't even like stoplights. You what are you doing? What, you're a box. Like you're a box programmed by some jerk. Why are you telling me what to do? I do what I want. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, Chris, this is a much less boozy version of the airing of the grievances as it has been in the past because Chris said, quote, today is Christmas party day. 
because he has a lot of Christmas parties to attend. I wore my tartan pants, and I am ready to go. Yeah, he's ready to go, um, so he didn't want to drink this early, which is actually, for him, I would argue, late. It is. It is. <laughs> but he's being responsible, and that's not a grievance. That is a virtue. He, Chris, I, I think you, you're you growing. I feel like there's a backhanded virtue, Emily. <laughs> well, it's backhanded because it's coming from somebody much younger than you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm older than the seas roll. Mm-hmm. Well, you're getting there. All right. Well, we hope everybody has a Merry Christmas. Um, thank you again for listening, as always, to our airing of grievances, which can be controversial episodes. Some people love mm-hmm. them. Some people hate them. The message I think we decided on was arrest more people. <laughs> That's the message you decided. I'm, I'm actually OK with that message, but well, with some nuance. And we don't need to get into that. <laughs> Let's go. We're outside right now. We'll pick up five. <laughs> And they would probably be justified. He is urinating (laughs) right in front of me. All right. Well, you've been listening to another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at the Federalist, joined today by my colleague, colleague, Christopher Bedford, senior editor at the Federalist. We'll be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray.